Good morning. My name's Chet. I'm one of the pastors here. Grab a Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 17 with me. We are working our way through the book of Exodus. It's on page 34 if you grab one of the blue Bibles that's stuck down in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, then this is our gift to you. We'd love for you to take this home with you. We'd love for you to read it and follow along with us as we continue to walk through Exodus. Um, We are picking up the story where we left off last week. We're about six weeks from, not in our time, but in their time, um, from when the crossing of the Red Sea happens. When God, I mean, definitively shows miraculous victory over the Egyptians and the rescue of the people of Israel. After the, the ten plagues, there's the crossing of the Red Sea. The Egyptians are defeated. That was about six weeks ago. So for us, that would be like December 11th, somewhere around in there. So uh, if you think back about that far, if we were the Israelites, that's about how far back the crossing of the Red Sea is. And what we've seen is the Israelites have been uh, traveling in the wilderness and uh, grumbling, being kind of hard to get along with, complaining, kind of wondering, where's God going to provide? How was this last week? They said, I wish God had just killed us in Egypt because at least I'd have died sitting next to a meat pot. So... That's the way you want to go, you know, just a pot of meat and then boom, full belly death. That's what they said. I wish that had happened because this wandering around in the wilderness with no food is the worst. And that's kind of where we were. Then God begins to miraculously provide manna. And so we're going to pick up. They're following the pillar of cloud during the day, the pillar of fire at night, and moving around the wilderness. Exodus 17. Let's pray and then we'll start reading this together. Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your wisdom as we study your word. We pray that you would... Bless us um, with the ability to hear this morning. We ask for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and for us to be soft um, and willing to listen to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 17, it says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin. And we said last week that that's not like a title. That's just they've transliterated the word into English. So uh, I have some translations will put a Z there, Zen. It's, it's just a name. Wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So there's two things we need to see in this first um, verse that are important for us and important for us to understand this story. The first one is this. They moved at the commandment of the Lord. As I just said, they're following the pillar of cloud. So if the pillar of cloud moves, they move. When the pillar of cloud stops, they get there, they stop. So it's at the commandment of the Lord that they move from one place to the next. And so they move at the commandment of the Lord, and they move to a place with no water. Now, if you're leading people through the wilderness, the way you choose where to stop is where is water. You might rest on the way to water. You might stop for a night if you have enough water, but you don't go, I think this is good. Let's set up camp here in a place with no water. This is done by every human standard incorrectly. This, the cloud stops. God stops. By his commandment, he stops, and it's like, no, no. Like, keep going. We can't stop here. It, it, it would be like if you found out about a, a, a commander in the army who sent everyone out and then was like, and it was like, why did the battle go so poorly? We forgot guns. 
As we got out there, we kept thinking there was something missing. And when they shot at us, we were all like, guns. That was what we were supposed to have. It's, I mean, it's gross incompetence. You, if, if they, on one of those uh, shows where they're refixing a house, and they're like, move that bus, move that bus, and the bus moves, and the house doesn't have a roof, it's like, move the bus back, finish it up. So they stop in the wilderness in a place with no water. Now, that's very important for us to understand in this story, but it's also important for us to see as we try to learn about the nature and character of God because some of us right now feel like in life we're in a place where there's no water. But they moved here by the command of God. Now, I don't know what you're missing in life, but I know it's not water. It may hurt it may be painful, it may be wildly something that you think is essential to life, but I just want you to be able to understand that, that you can connect to this story because water is up there in the things we need. And so to move there with no water, it shows that God sometimes puts us in a place that doesn't seem right. And by all of our standards, we could say, this is, this is incorrect, this should not be the way this is. We all know this is wrong. That's the way this would feel. It's obvious. And so God moves into a place where there's no water. Verse 2, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Okay, so last week they were grumbling. And we're going to hear they grumble again here. But they've ratcheted it up. It's not just grumbling. Grumbling is like side, sideways complaining. Um... Grumbling is, is, I'm complaining a little bit, I'm complaining a little bit maybe to Moses, but it's, it's in general, it's like a murmur. When Moses walks by, everybody gets quiet. Maybe they give him dirty looks, but it's, it's not as aggressive as quarreling. Quarreling is now they've come to him. They're arguing with him. They're fighting with him. The, the aggression level has gone from, from some grumbling to now we're getting close to like a mutiny. We're going to see that's what Moses says in a second. So they're bringing this complaint to Moses, and they've ratcheted up the aggression. And he says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And you got to feel Moses here for a second because Moses is a little bit of like, hey, y'all see the cloud too, right? You see the presence of God. I didn't pick this place. We've moved here by his command. We've moved here in obedience. So why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? He's the one who's put us here. Why are you putting him on trial? And why are you with your attitude trying to see what he's going to do? That's, that's like when your parents said, don't test me. That's what he's saying. Why are we testing the Lord? Y'all were in Egypt, right? It doesn't go well. He can do stuff. So he says, verse 3, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of, up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, this question feels a little ridiculous, but it's understandable. So let's think about this for a second. I think you could ask in your right mind, like I can ask, we can ask, why would God bring you out of Egypt to kill you with thirst? As a rhetorical question, which means he wouldn't, that's dumb. Like, he's bringing us to the promised land. He's rescued us out of Egypt. Why would, why would he do that? Like, I have to ask those questions of my, my older son every once in a while. We'll have this moment where he thinks, 
that I'm not going to take care of him and I'm out to get him. I've had times where I'm like, hey, let's, let's get ready. I need you to get your shoes on. We're going to leave the house. And he'll, he'll be like, we haven't eaten supper. I've I got to eat supper. And it's like, first of all, when have I failed to feed you? Your mom might, but I like eating. She might forget about a meal. I don't forget about meals, buddy. I like eating. Your mom will remember eventually. She just is okay without eating. I'm thinking about food right now. It's like, I'm going to feed you. We're going to take care of you. Also, we're going to supper, so put your shoes on. You've made us all hungrier. Like, when have I ever failed? Like, that could be the question is, why would he do this? And the answer being, he wouldn't. We can trust him. But that's easy for me to say because I'm not thirsty. In this moment, my lips aren't chapped. I'm not looking at my kids and saying, I don't know how to, to I don't, I'm not looking at a, a, a one of our like cattle that's, that's slobbering and drooling because it can't, it's panting and I have nothing to give it. I'm looking at a child and I have nothing, like I'm not in that spot, but they are. And in that moment of thirst, everything they know about God is gone. Everything they know about his power, everything they know about his provision. This very morning that they're asking this question, God miraculously provided food that appears for them to harvest. Bread. Do miraculous bread that shows up, you go get it. It tastes like wafers baked with honey, like not even just like, like good bread. And that, that, why is he going to kill us? Why is he out to get us? And I want you to feel that too. Because it's possible for us to be there. I, I became a Christian. I thought this was supposed to be better. I'm following Jesus now and everything's gotten worse. Why would God, why would I suddenly believe in Jesus, start showing up to church and then he punches me in the face? I don't understand. Like why, why would he do that? I don't know if I'm going to believe this. I don't know if I'm going to follow this. I don't like, I signed up for something different. Why is this working out this way? And everything you would know about God's just gone because of the way life is going. That's where they are. And on one hand, it seems ridiculous. And on the other hand, there's part of me that goes, I, I feel that. So Moses cried to the Lord, verse 4, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. So this has gotten, this is not, it wasn't like a nice question that they asked. This is aggressive. They're coming at him. It's, it's a mob. Like it's, it's getting dangerous down here. Moses is like, I think that like, they think I'm grossly incompetent. They're, they're about to get rid of both of us. They're going to get rid of me. They're going to get rid of you. They're going to do their own thing that, that we have failed so miserably in their eyes. They're about to kill me. It's like they got together and said, hey, we don't know who's the last person to die because of the thirst, but we voted and we know who the first person to die is going to be. That's what Moses is saying. Like, they're, they're about to stone me. This is about to be an execution because of their anger, because of their frustration, and because of their doubt and mistrust. Verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people. So do this publicly. Taking with you some of the elders of Israel. So elders are brought together for counsel, for judgment, for witnesses. They're the leaders of the people. So get some of the leaders of the people. I'm sure some of the elders are some of the people who were having these conversations with him. Bringing their complaints. Pass on before the people. Taking with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. 
Okay, so this staff struck the Nile. The Nile turned from water into blood. So just take that staff and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. So God says, take the staff, get some of the elders, go, I'll stand before you. Now, when he stands before him, I believe, my best understanding is that he is standing in the cloud, that the cloud stands before the rock at Horeb. This is the way it's worded in other places. Uh, Exodus 33 9 says, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Or Exodus 34, 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So I think that God's presence goes and stands over the rock. Now, it's possible he does this a different way, but in the context of Exodus, this makes the most sense. It's the cloud that stands there. And so... Moses is going to go, he's told to go and strike the rock, and water's going to come forth, and the people are going to drink. Now, just for us keep, keeping up with this, keeping score at home here, do you think God brought them to this place, had forgotten humans needed water, had no real plan, and because of their bad attitudes was like, oh yeah, if they're going to kill you, Moses, I'll provide some water. Here's a miraculous way I just made up to do this. I would think God knew what he was doing the whole time, even though they couldn't see it. I would think that God had intended to, again, show his miraculous ability to provide, to rule over all things, even in the midst of them not seeing how that would work. And I want, I want that to encourage you because there are times where it's like, there's no water here, I'm going to die. And in those moments, we get to go, but Lord, you can snatch water out of a rock. You can make food miraculous appear out of heaven. Like you, you've got this, I trust you. That's not what happens. So Moses is going to bring the elders, the uh, the, the Lord is going to stand before the rock, and he's going to strike the rock with, with the staff. Now, uh, if, if you just are, you know, if you're having to choose between what's harder than what, rocks are harder than sticks, just letting y'all know. So in general, when you strike a rock with a stick, it's bad for the stick. It's not bad for the rock. But the rock's going to break, and water's going to pour forth. And there's going to be life in a place where there was a death. But something very interesting happens in the way this is written. The last part of this verse is, And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. That's it. It doesn't tell us anything else. God tells him to do this, and then it just says, And Moses did so. Now, we've read enough of Exodus to know this just broke the formula. Because there's a, a bit of a formula that's been running through Exodus, which is, number one, God tells him to do a thing, tells Moses to do a thing. And the Lord said, go do this thing. Second, Moses does the thing. It'll say, and Moses did the thing. There's one verse that says, and the Lord did the thing. He said, I'm going to do this thing tomorrow, and the next day, he did the thing. Like, that's... 
This is, we're fine. We're on step two. But step three is telling us about the thing that was done. Now, sometimes it's longer and sometimes it's shorter. Sometimes the explanation of what's going to happen is longer, but then it'll say he does it and it'll give a little short thing. Sometimes it, so like what we would expect next is for it to say, so on the, the next day or that afternoon or Moses went straight away and he gathered elders and sometimes he could list the elders and we'd make some kind of joke about if you're naming babies, here you go, Alipahaz or whatever. Like we would pick, you know, but we would read through these names. Or maybe it would just say a shortened version and it would say, and so Moses did this and the rock broke and the people drank. Y'all, we don't get to hear anything about the people's reaction, about how much water. That's not what marks this moment. Look at the next verse. And he called the name of the place Masa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's the conclusion. We didn't even hear that they said that earlier, but that's what we're going to end with. That's the taste that's left in our mouth. Is the Lord among us or not? That's what marks this place. Now, you would think that this could have been called Holy Spring, flowing rock fountain of delight. Like they could have named this place Water in the Desert, the place of provision. God is good. Like, what's his name? Quarreling and testing. Because it wasn't marked by the miracle. It wasn't marked by what God did. It wasn't remembered for that. It was remembered and marked by, and the thing that we're supposed to see is their heart towards the Lord. Is the Lord among us or not? Now, I used to, I, when I was little, I would watch uh, little Bible cartoons. If you grew up in a Christian home, you might, you might have watched little Bible cartoons. If you didn't, you were able, allowed to watch, you know, The Simpsons and The Smurfs. I was not. They were going to turn me evil, and so I didn't watch them. <laughs> and if you watch The Simpsons and The Smurfs and you're here, well done overcoming all that evil that would have <laughs> led you astray. But I wasn't allowed to watch that, and I watched little Bible cartoons. And uh, in the little Bible cartoons, there was one where they would open the Bible, and then like four kids would get sucked into it, and they would have to go on adventures. And so if they had done this one, though, it feels like the adventure would be short. Because when they showed up and they're like, what's going on? And they're like, we don't know if the Lord is among us or not. You'd feel like the kids would be like, oh. You see that big pillar of fire? There he is. All right, let's head on back. It wouldn't even be a 15-minute show. It would just be over. The credits would roll. But they're not basing it off of his actual presence. What are they basing it off of? His provision. When they say, is the Lord here or not, they mean, has he provided for me in the way that I expect him to? And if he hasn't, I don't know if he's trustworthy. If he hadn't done what I think he's supposed to do by now, I don't know if I'm going to follow him. I might just be out. If he's going to act in a way that's outside of my control, or if he's going to act in a way that's some way that I don't understand, or if he's going to tell me that this is where we're supposed to be when I don't want to be here, then I might just be done. So the New Testament 
talks about this. I want you to, to turn to 1 Corinthians 10. This is Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth. So he's writing to people like us, Christians, a church, people who have gathered saying they're Christians, people who are gathered because they believe in the Lord. They've heard about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10. If you have one of these Bibles, it's on page 557. It's also on the screen. Paul writing says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. Church, this is us. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Okay, cloud we've been talking about. All passed through the sea. That's the Red Sea. That's the part of the Red Sea we talked about. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That He used the word baptized there on purpose. But what he's saying is that that was a thing that marked them all as belonging to this community. Those who had gone under the cloud and through the sea. It's like a baptism. It says I'm a part. I belong. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. That's manna. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So that's referring to the story we just read. And so far, what he's saying is all good stuff. These people all belong. They were all participating. They were all there. And he tells them, I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to know this. He's looking at the church and saying, I need you to know this. But then here's why. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us. So he says, church, read Exodus and learn that we might not desire evil as they did. I don't want to ruin a whole bunch of the rest of the Exodus. Some of this is in Numbers and Deuteronomy, but we're going to run through quickly. It doesn't get better from here. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. What's the end of the ages? Jesus Christ coming to rescue a people for himself. So he says, the end of the ages have come. Jesus has come. The gospel is proclaimed. Listen, it's possible for you to be here and miss it. It's possible for you to show up, sing songs, read the underlined portions, pray, listen to the Bible. It's possible for you to be in a community group. It's possible for you to lead a community group. It's possible for you to be baptized. It's possible for you to partake in communion. And it's possible for none of that to have any effect on your heart and for you to not belong to Jesus. You can grow up in the church watching Bible cartoons as an eight-year-old and not know Jesus. So Paul says, this was written down so that we wouldn't think that just because they were there, just because they were around it, that it changed them. 
This is the way this passage is treated. This is Masa and Meribah are, are reused. Like if someone says that this situation was someone's Waterloo, they, they're referring to, to the downfall of Napoleon. They're saying that that's marked his whole story. This, when they talk about Masa and Meribah, I want to show you this. This will be on the screen because we're going to stay in 1 Corinthians as we finish up. Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. As on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, if anybody should have known how good he was and how he could provide, the Israelites should have walked into a place and said, there's no water. Everybody, buckle up, take a seat, watch what God can do. Watch what he can do, because I've seen him do so much. This one's about to be good. This story could have been the valley of provision. But just seeing the stuff and just being around the stuff hadn't affected their heart. It doesn't tell us how they drank. It doesn't tell us how they responded. It almost feels as if when this happens, you can almost feel the people of Israel being like, that's what I thought. Yeah, you should provide for me. There's no, it doesn't seem like there's any amount of thankfulness. It seems like this whole place is marked by the wickedness of their hearts. Hebrews 3 picks up, quotes Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And then it keeps going down. It quotes more of that psalm, and then it goes to verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It is possible for you to be around the church but not be in the church. For you to not belong to Jesus, for you to have an unbelieving heart, and for you to be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin, led astray by it. It's possible that right now, there's something in your life that you're saying, it's not that big a deal. I'm not really doing anything bad. I haven't really acted on it. I'm just thinking about it. It's not, it's not that bad. I don't need to talk to my group about this. I don't need to talk to my spouse about this. I don't need to. I, if people knew my circumstances, if God had really provided the way he was supposed to, I wouldn't have to do this. Maybe you're saying, all right, that was the last time. I'm not ever going to do it again. I'm, I'm, I'm going to change this time. And that's the hundredth time you've said that. But there's no real confession and no real repentance. Maybe you're justifying your actions. Maybe you're saying it's not really hurting anybody. Maybe you're telling yourself, I'm, too, I'm in too deep. But it's possible For us to be slowly, step by step, being led astray by a deceitful sin and the deceitfulness of our own hearts. And this can happen to Christians. This can happen to anybody. This can happen to anybody who belongs to Jesus that would be around it. This, is, this happens to people who would say, I'm in, I'm, I believe it, but they're slowly taking step. And step, this could be someone who leads a group. This can be someone who leads a church. This can be anybody can sit and slowly make compromises and be led astray by the deceitfulness of sin. And what he's saying is that there's a possibility that there's an unbelieving heart in you. 
and it's hardened to the things of God. And I want you to hear what he says. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't be like the people at Massa and Meribah. There's the Holy Spirit speaking right now, and he's bringing something to mind, and he's saying, you're going to need to talk about this. You're going to need to turn from this. Whatever he's bringing to you, and you're thinking in that moment, and I've been there. I've been in that moment where the Holy Spirit whispers something to you, and you have that moment where you just immediately react, and you say, I can't. I can't. I can't confess that. I can't tell anybody that. I can't turn from that. And you have the opportunity at this moment to harden your heart, to press the Lord away, and to look at the Holy Spirit and say, I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to be led to Jesus. I don't want forgiveness. I don't want redemption. You have the opportunity also to not harden your heart, to hear his voice and to turn to him. Y'all, they were around it, but they missed Jesus. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 says. Paul says something that's very odd in 1 Corinthians 10. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. This moment at Horeb was going to be a picture of this provision of God. And Paul looks at this story and he says, that's Jesus. In the midst of their quarreling, in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their rebellion, what does God do? Does he strike them? No, he strikes the rock. And the rock brings life. He gathers the elders together and they stand in God and God's presence. They stand and they stand before the rock. And instead of them being punished for their rebellion, instead of that being the final part of the story, they, cry, they strike the rock and the, the life pours forth miraculously. And Paul says, that's Jesus. That in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our failure, that God brought him forward before the elders that he was presented, and that he was struck, and from him comes life. And you can be covered by Jesus. That can be the end of your story, that there's a fountain filled with blood, where there's forgiveness of sins and redemption and life. Or the story can be quarreling, hard heart, Romans says, do you presume upon the riches of God's kindness and patience and forbearance, not knowing that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That God is kind, he's patient, he forbears so that we would repent. So that you would see and turn to him with your sin, not run away from him in your sin, but turn to him with your sin and ask for forgiveness. But then it says, because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you're storing up a wrath for yourself on the day of God's wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. And those are the options. And if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart in rebellion. If the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord God Almighty whispers to you, I want to take this sin from you, don't harden your heart. Don't run from that. Praise Jesus that there's forgiveness. Praise Jesus that he was struck so that we could be forgiven. Praise Jesus that in the midst of our rebellion, there is life. The band's going to come back up. Paul says that this happened to them, but it was written for our instruction. That we might not be like them. You have 
the ability to harden your heart against the Lord. Harden your heart against his voice. To press back on him as he calls you. Don't do that. Repent. Ask for grace and forgiveness. There's something potentially right now that you're saying, I can't tell anybody that. It'll ruin everything. Can I explain to you that not confessing and not repenting is what ruins everything? Hardening your heart is what ruins everything. But breaking before the Lord and saying, I surrender and I need help and I need forgiveness and I need life. Rewrites the story in grace. So I don't know what the Holy Spirit's telling you this morning. I just know you should listen. I know you should surrender. So we're going to take a second. Let's bow our heads and let's pray and let's listen. And Lord, we pray that if in your grace you are speaking this morning, that we would not harden our hearts as in the day of rebellion. That there would not be a single person in this room that pushes you back today. It's by your wounds. It's by your stripes. It's by your suffering that we are healed and forgiven. May we trust you. Lord, for those who are struggling right now in a place that's like a desert, rather than wrestling with you, may they sit and say, I know that you provide and I know that you're good and I know that you will not keep one good thing from me and that if I don't need this, I don't need this. I just need you. Listen to the Lord right now. If he's calling you to confession, if he's calling you to repentance, if there's someone you need to talk to, you need to talk to them. The band's going to play for a minute and give us a moment to listen. Don't harden your heart against the Lord. Surrender to him. He's good. His kindness, his forbearance, his patience are meant to lead you to repentance, to bring you to him. But there's a day when that opportunity is over. When the story is pinned, there's a day of wrath, and may we all meet it covered by the blood and the grace of Christ, not standing in our sin. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak.